That bumper's making more sense right now, isn't it? Hope boxes, amen? amen. Let's do that again. Hope boxes, amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go. Let's love our neighbors. This series has been Living Hope. We want to be doers of the word. And what an honor to bring life, to bring gifts, to bring hope, to bring prayers to the people around us, loving our neighbors. The message tonight is refocusing on Jesus. We're in the book of 1 Peter. If you brought a Bible, turn to chapter 3, or you can find it on your phones. So good to be together. And again, thank you for joining us online as well. We're going to start in verse 13. And also today, we're going to take communion together. So if you're here and you haven't grabbed the bread and the juice, you can slip back and grab one now. If you're at home, please grab some bread and some juice, because at the end of this message, we're going to have a meaningful time, significant time of taking communion together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you are with us and you go ahead of us. God, we thank you that we can be secure in your love, in your presence. Lord, that we're accepted and forgiven. Thank you, Jesus. We praise you. God, we also thank you that you give us strength in our weaknesses. God, we've got a lot of weaknesses, and we thank you that you give us strength, power, God, through the Holy Spirit. And also, God, you empower us to serve. We're, we're excited to serve, Lord. We, we look forward to the stories that are going to happen this month, and we want you to get all the glory. Uh, Lord, fill our hearts with your love and your hope that it be overflowing into our relationships, and we'd reach out to our neighbors with courage and authenticity. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Literally one year ago, it was early March, and I was excited about a conference on adoption. I was going to speak there until I found out last minute I was contacted and the conference was canceled. And it was because of COVID. And I just started to think, all right, how, how many things are going to be canceled? How is this going to affect church? And some people started saying, oh, it might be a few weeks, it might even be a month, and you know, now you look back, you say, a year later, what a year, what a year, lots of challenges. Uh, as Peter was writing this letter, there was lots of challenges, so we can relate there. Also, as Peter wrote this letter, people were spiritually drifting, and we live in a time right now where there's been a lot of drifting spiritually. Even when you think about churches, I mean, a lot of pastors are excited if half the people are back in the building right now. If you said a year later excited that half the people are back in the building, I mean, what a year. Christ together, and they work with leaders and pastors in all the major cities in America, they recently did a survey, about 1,000 pastors, and the survey revealed that 97% of the pastors said that making disciples is primary. When you think about our role as followers of Jesus, making disciples, that's of the utmost importance, 97%. But then over 50% said in the last year, there was no significant wins in terms of discipleship in their church. Over half reported that. And then over 40% said they're not feeling very confident moving forward right now in terms of churches and making disciples. And they felt the safety, to be honest. And if that's the pastors and the leaders and where they're at, personally, I'm very encouraged. I'm very inspired. But I also see the realities of where things are at morally and spiritually in our country. And I think, well, what was the situation when Peter was writing? People were drifting from God. There were challenges everywhere. And what are we going to do in that kind of situation? Here's the main idea tonight. When challenges increase and the culture spiritually drifts, you need to intentionally refocus on Jesus. 
intentionally refocus on Jesus. The calling of the churches and the followers of Jesus is not to imitate or copy the culture. It's not to complain. It's not to be bitter or look to lash back. It's not to be intimidated, silent, or sleepy. That's not our calling. Our calling is not infighting. Our calling is not watering it down or making excuses. We don't want to settle for any of that. That's not our calling. All right, well, what's left? How do we step up in times like this? And that's what this passage answers. We're going to look at three characteristics. Followers of Jesus, especially when there's challenges. How do we live out our faith? And it's through abiding in Jesus we're going to enter into these three areas. Let's take a look at chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. The first characteristic of a follower of Jesus is that you are eager to do good just like Jesus. This message is going to kind of have an equipping tone. I believe equipping is so important from Ephesians 4 in the Bible. Also that our relationship with Jesus is 24-7 in the home where we live, work, learn, or play. So Peter's writing, there's a lot of equipping happening here. And we want to be equipped by the Holy Spirit, eager to do good and live just like Jesus. The foundation, which is where you start, the foundation is not fear. Check your foundation. Make sure fear isn't creeping in. The foundation is grace, trusting God, not fear. Peter writes, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Think about what people fear right now in our, in our country. And what does Peter say? Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. Peter was writing to people that they were in a time of persecution. The threats were real. The persecution was real. The mistreatment was real. Death was real. A lot of martyrs during that time. And yet, do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. He's quoting and going back to Isaiah, an Old Testament prophet. And in Isaiah chapter 8, starting in verse 11, the Lord spoke to me, Isaiah writes, with his strong hand upon me, warning me to not follow the way of this people. He said, do not call conspiracy everything that these people call conspiracy. And do not fear what they fear, and do not dread it. The Lord Almighty is the one you are to regard as holy. He is the one you are to fear and honor. Fear and honor the Lord. So you don't have to be worried and fearful about everything else. Alexander McLaren you think about Psalm 27, the Lord is my light, he's the stronghold of my life, whom shall I fear? And Alexander McLaren says, only if you say, the Lord is the strength of my life, can you then say, whom shall I fear? If the Lord is not our song, our strength, and our salvation, we're going to fear. We're going to fear. So let's come back to the Lord that he would be our strength. For the readers of this letter, they couldn't stop the persecution. They couldn't stop the accusations. The accusations are going to fly, and even the devil's an accuser. But they can continue in goodness to live out their faith. This phrase, eager to do good, do you know anyone that's eager to do good? Does that describe you? Eager to do good. Zealotai, which we understand the word zealots, if someone is very zealous, there was actually a group in that first century called the Zealots. And what's interesting about this group is they were very political-minded. Now, at their best, 
they had a real sincere passion for righteousness. But they were all about nationalism. They despised in many ways Gentiles. They despised the Romans. And they, a lot of them, were kind of (laughs) hot-blooded, zealous, very political. Politics was number one. There were a lot of people at that time hoping Jesus would be a political leader. And I'll tell you, in his first coming, he's not the military leader. He's not the political leader. He's not coming to overthrow Rome in that first coming. When he returns, he'll be a military leader, and he will be a political leader and, as well. But uh, the first coming, that's not what he's going to do. So zealots were disappointed. When you look at the list of the 12, Simon the Zealot. All right, There's a very good chance Simon was one of those nationalists Very strong opinions politically in what he wanted to see happen. Now, uh, for zealots, Jesus would challenge them when he says, love even those who persecute you. Pray for them. Zealots didn't want to pray for Rome. Zealots didn't want to love Gentiles. What did Jesus say? How radical is this message? So it was challenging. Someone like Simon the Zealot. Also with the 12, we have Matthew, a tax collector. What did tax collectors do? Well, ultimately, they're involved with collaborating and serving Rome. Isn't that interesting? You'd have a zealot and a tax collector working together in the same 12. What does that tell us? That they're going to make sure that Jesus is first and that the politics and some of their opinions or some of their lifestyle things, there's not going to be the infighting. What we know about Simon the Zealot, according to history, is that he would spread the gospel to many places probably the Egyptians, Ethiopians, and he died as a martyr. So ultimately, he made that shift that Jesus isn't going to be that political leader, but he is going to be faithful to spread the gospel, eager to do good, eager to do good. First Timothy chapter 6, and Paul's writing to Timothy, and there's people there with wealth in our country. There's a lot of wealth. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth. Two temptations if you have money. Money's a blessing, but don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. But to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. And the next verse says, they will have the life that is truly life. Tell people that are well off financially to be eager to do good, because that's where they're going to experience the life that is truly life. The Bible says, in terms of doing good, it starts with the family of faith, starts with the household of faith, starts here with how we treat one another, how we love one another. I find it interesting that a lot of people over the last year are either thinking or making statements along the lines of, I don't really think I need to go to church. And some are saying, I don't really think I need church. Now, I understand some people, it makes sense. Safety reasons are not in the building. So I'm not saying this to bring any kind of guilt or shame for not being in the building. Not at all. But some people say, I don't need church because I can just watch a sermon. I get some information. I get inspired. And that's enough. I'm good. I'm good. And what I would point out is that actually being together is very significant. We're we're made for community, to talk to each other, to have conversations. It's important to connect. Also, churches are important. The Bible's very clear. God set it up, local churches. And there's deacons and there's elders, and this is God's plan. It's not just something man whipped up or a woman decided. Or No, this is something that came from heaven. 
And uh, when you think about those statements, well, I don't need church, I get enough, I get a sermon at home, I'm fine, I don't feel like coming, usually there's a lot of I statements. I, 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 I. And the challenge, I think, for us in America, in the Western culture, in the Western part of the country, is to think we more than me. And I want to just bring this friendly reminder that when it comes to church, yes, we want to worship, and yes, we want our souls filled, and yes, we want to be fed, and so forth. But we're also here to serve and love one another. And that's something you just can't do. I alone. We choose churches, not just how good is this, 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 and this, but we choose churches looking around like, who can I serve? How can I use my gifts? How can I be part of this community and build up the body? And we need that perspective again because there's a little bit of consumerism going on, especially with some digital ministry. I think digital ministry is a blessing, but let's not fall into the trap of, I don't need church. I'm just going to do it home, my own thing, and it's all about me. That, that would be a trap. Uh, we love each other. We love each other in the home. We love each other at church. But then also it doesn't stop there. And here at Grace, we've used an acronym BLESS, which is begin with prayer, listen to people, eat you could say coffee's included in that one in Seattle. Serve and also share. Bless people. Every month, the elders share blessed stories in their own lives, how they're blessing people. Every month, the staff sharing blessed stories. Every week around our dinner table, Friday nights, we share blessed stories. And I got to tell you how good it is for my heart to hear our kids at the end of each week saying, well, um, let's see, I can't remember one. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And then they'll remind the other one, you bless that person. You bless this person. I'm praying for this person that doesn't know Jesus. And that just comes from Genesis and Abraham, God says, I'm going to bless you so you'll bless other people. We receive blessings from the Lord. We want to bless other people. And we want to bless people who don't know Jesus. Sometimes the topic comes up and people kind of guess or assume or ask. And they say, so is grace about loving each other and going deep? Or is grace about reaching out? And I just say, both. Both and both fully. No, no big mystery here, no big reveal. But sometimes when we're really talking about loving each other and growing deep, someone will say, well, what about outreach? And sometimes when we're doing outreach, someone will say, well, what about going deep and loving each other? And it's just, yes, fully, both. And from day one since I've been here, it's like, let's have a full balance. That's what the elders have been all about. Let's have a balance. Now, I would say that maybe five years ago, we were more slanted towards in, 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 and didn't have as much going out, but our goal is just to have a great balance. We want to go as deep as we can with Christ. We want to make disciples. We want to encourage each other. We want to love each other, serve one another, and we also want to move beyond the walls of the church and bring the love of Jesus and the hope of the Jesus to everyone in Auburn and the nation. So it's a full both and, just for clarity there. Uh, hope boxes, hope boxes. You know, we had boxes at Christmas because we knew we couldn't all gather like we usually do at Christmas. And those boxes, there was such a ministry God brought through those boxes. So as we were approaching Easter and the staff was praying and thinking, talking creatively, it's like, what about hope boxes? And, and the leaders received some boxes a little while ago. And in those boxes, when someone gets a box and there's love, maybe there's cookies or a gift card or a note or something in there, uh, it's knocking and just leaving it on the door or personally, giving that to someone that didn't expect it. The, the hope of Jesus is spread, and it, it's catalytic. I, I want to ask you, uh, as you think about how God leads you to individual specific people, let me just ask you, who has God put on your mind, on your heart, in your prayers? 
Who is it for you? We worship a God who leads people to people, who guides individual people to individual people, sometimes guides groups to groups as well. For Peter, the author here, he would start telling the story of Cornelius. You say, well, who's Cornelius? As you look in Acts chapter 10, and I'm going to read some verses from Acts chapter 10, this was the furthest from Peter's mind because Cornelius is a Gentile. And the custom was that Jews would not go into the home of a Gentile. But Peter was listening to God. I encourage you, listen to God. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to who he's putting on your mind and your heart. Don't belittle that. Peter listened. So he said yes. He was willing to go. And there were three that guided him to Cornelius' house. And in Acts chapter 10, I'm going to start in verse 34, because Peter's starting to realize some things. He says, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men and women from every nation. So the light bulb's going on. In verse 38, he says, Now God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power, and Jesus went around doing good. Jesus was eager to do good. And now Peter's got an opportunity. In verse 42, Peter then says, God commanded us to preach to the people, to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and dead. So now Peter is sharing about Jesus. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. And then in verse 47, Peter says, can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So we ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We had glorious baptisms last weekend. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. What did Peter just do? Listen to God. Cornelius, a specific person, came and shared hope. Cornelius responded. Others responded. When you say yes and you're faithful in one area, watch how God opens up. It's like, wow, God, I didn't expect you to do that too. Wow, now they want to get baptized as well. Now I'm spending a couple days here. You, you say yes, and what's on the other side of yes? God just keeps opening doors and doors. And now what's happened, just because Peter to Cornelius, one person, one relationship, now Jew and Gentile, now the church is going to have to have some committee meetings. There's going to be a lot of late night meetings trying to figure this one out. Jew and Gentile, Peter's got some splaining to do because the church wasn't ready to go where God was going. And the Holy Spirit was running ahead. The church is trying to catch up. The Holy Spirit is moving to change lives. The church is trying to catch up. Peter's going to encourage them. And I'll read these verses in Acts chapter 11, verse 17. Peter says to those who are trying to listen and process this. They love Jesus, but they're trying to process this. He says, so if God gave them the same gift as he gave us who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is I to think that I could oppose God? When they heard this, they had no further objections, and they praised God, saying, So then, God has granted even the Gentiles repentance unto life. Even the Gentiles are included in this whole God's family, God's love. Uh, it's shaken their categories. Who is your Cornelius? Who is your Cornelius? This month, who's your Cornelius? Who is God leading you? to bless, to serve, to pray for, to love, to build a friendship with. Maybe it's someone unexpected. <laughs> Maybe you thought, boy, that coworker, that neighbor, well, we used to have conflict. I don't know who it is, 
but who's your Cornelius? I remember when I started in ministry. This is fresh out of seminary, and I went to Iowa. I was a college pastor through a church for about six years in Iowa. God did amazing things where people come into the Lord every single week. It was like revival on campus. And I remember uh, when I, um, and we moved from the church, this mall, to it went from a small group to like 800 people. And it was just, it was revival on campus. And I remember going and showing up on campus, trying to listen to God. And there was a lot of different people starting to come to our group. And here's some of the people. Some of the guys were football players. And I like athletes. You know, some of them went on to play in the NFL. Some of them were kind of social leaders. Some of them were in the fraternity. Some of them were Bible study leaders and really solid in their faith. And there was one guy, and this guy was different. I'm going to call him Landon. And Landon would never go to college. Landon has some challenges. But Landon was in the group. And Landon came up to me and said, let me get your cell. And I gave him my cell, phone number. And Landon started to call me many times a day. Jesse, it's Landon. Give me a call. Give me a call when you get this. I mean, I wasn't always checking my phone. At the end of the day, it'd be like, Jesse, Landon calling. Give me a call. Give me a call. Give me a call. And uh, Landon and I started to build a friendship. We'd play volleyball, sand volleyball with college ministry. And Landon wanted to be right next to me. And Landon didn't really play much volleyball, so if he was on your team, it was like, all right, we're probably going to see that gr- the ball hit the ground a lot. We might not win this game, but Landon, come on over here. Come on over. And Landon, uh, so many stories about Landon, but um, a couple things I would say. Landon would be rapping, and the lyrics, these songs he'd listen to, and he would just be rapping these songs, and I'd hear some words. Didn't sound like words you say at church. I'd say, Landon, what is that song? And then he'd just get a little bashful, like, yeah, I probably shouldn't be singing that one. And uh, you know what happened in Landon's life? He started to sing praise songs. God was changing his heart, singing praise songs. We'd have prayer walks, and Landon would say, I want to do one of those. I want to walk. I want to pray. And we would pray, God, change downtown. So many people going to bars. So many people trying to find satisfaction in life just by drinking, getting drunk, sleeping around. God, change. Change these places. And you just hear Landon after that saying, Shut down the bars, God. Shut down the bars. And, and there's Landon again. It's like, Landon, Landon, sometimes God gives you a Cornelius. He says, this is the person. What God was trying to teach me right out of seminary is that to be faithful to him. Everyone's going to be loved. You don't have to have the college degree. You don't have to be cool. You don't have to be athletic. You don't, no, this ministry in life is about love, and it's about being faithful. And Landon... Uh, he was shining the light of the Lord. I'm so grateful for him and what God was teaching me. Who's your Cornelius? Eager to do good. And that leads to the second part, which is ready to talk about the real hope just like Jesus. Ready to talk about real hope just like Jesus. When you're eager to do good, that's visual. Now this part is verbal. And listen to what Peter says. Verse 15. He writes, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Now, if Peter would change and go from very timid to very courageous, that's a reminder that any of us can go from courage uh, starting out with timid and go to courage through the help of the Holy Spirit. A lot of people say, and they get pushed back, well, faith is just personal. Faith is just personal. It is so personal, but it's also public. And it's both. 
and it's verbal as well. Uh, notice the foundation. It starts with the foundation again. What's the foundation? In your heart, set apart, Christ is Lord. If you don't set apart Christ as Lord in your heart, it's really hard to open your mouth. Well, it's hard anyways, but we rely on the Holy Spirit. It's this inner health and this commitment to Jesus. Let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 6, this place of health. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, when you think about hope and this anchor that we have, in a boat you drop the anchor and it goes down to the bottom. But we have a different kind of anchor in Jesus. When Jesus was crucified, there was a curtain that stopped people from going into the Holy of Holies. But then when he was crucified, that curtain was torn from top to bottom. God's grace, he tore it. And then Jesus, after he ascended into heaven, kind of went beyond that curtain in heaven. And that's where he resides, at the right hand of the Father. We have one Jesus in the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was unique because he was a priest and he was also a king. Jesus is the king of kings. He is our high priest prophet as well, and he is God. And when you take this in, it gives you an anchor for the soul. That in challenges, persecutions, you have an anchor for the soul, full of hope as you commit your life to Jesus. Now, when you share Jesus with other people, you're going to get a range of reactions. And we're just going to play this out right here. I want this section, we got four reactions, four sections. This section I know we don't say this word a lot in church, but I need you to say it for the sake of this uh, illustration right here. On the count of three, say hate. One, two, three, hate. Okay. This one right here, I need you to say not yet. One, two, three, not yet. Not yet. This group right here, I need you to say listening. On the count of three. One, two, three, Listening. Great. All right. And over here, I want you to say yes. I got an easy one. One, two, three. Yes. All right. So let's just go section by section here. Remember what it is. I'm going to point to you and then you declare it. Ready? When I share Jesus, this is what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. Some people are going to hate me because I just humbly shared my story about Jesus. Some people are going to say, not yet, ready. Some people, listening, thinking, thinking. And then other people, yes, that's what I need, that's what I need. So realistically, when you share Jesus, you don't know, you stay faithful, trust God with the results, because someone's going to say yes, someone's going to hate you, someone's not ready, they're going to let you know, and someone else is listening, thinking, and maybe starting a little deeper conversation, and you don't know. So you stay faithful, try to be sensitive to the person, the Holy Spirit, and there was a lot of persecution as they did this. Notice the tone, gentleness and respect. Followers of Jesus, I think, need to repent and apologize for the tone that we often carry in our conversations. Either like we know it all, we're better than other people, uh, sometimes it's obnoxious or rude, it's not in love, gentleness and respect. We have a faith that's not a blind faith. It is rational, it is reasonable, and there's reasons for our faith. And we don't have to know it all. You don't have to know it all, but you know your story. You know about Jesus and you know a little bit about why you believe, these are the kind of things Peter says we're going to share with the culture. 
And uh, we're on mission together. I want to give you a couple statistics. Statistics jump out to me. You probably picked up on that. Uh, I want you to think big picture. I want you to think of these realities. I'm going to say heaven and hell. Okay, Barna did some research. The beginning of the century, early 2000s, and in America, 76% said heaven is real, and 72% said hell is real. Now, you fast forward beyond that, uh, Pew Research, check the numbers much later. They report now 72% a few years ago say heaven's real, 58% say hell is real. What does that tell us? Most of Americans know that heaven's real and hell's real. Most of Americans, they know that. We know that 100% because Jesus said it so many times. The Bible says it so many times. So those realities, I realize that's big picture, that's eternal, but those realities. Now let me ask you, the next study was how many people think they're going to hell? Hmm, what number would you put on that? How many people would say, yeah, I think I'm going to hell? The answer is 0.5%. A lot of optimism going on here. Uh, nobody really thinks they're going to hell in our country. Like maybe Hitler's there, some people think, but like not many people are there, okay? 0.5%. So then that leads to the next one, Cultural Research Center. Okay, how do you know you're going to heaven? Okay, a third of the people say it's through faith in Christ. Got to be born again. I mean, that's the Bible, right? You got to put your trust in Jesus. Do you know what over half the people say? I'm going to heaven because I'm generally good or I'm good enough. What does that tell you? Over half our country is believing a lie and a false gospel. I'm on my way to heaven because I think I'm good enough. How does that affect you when you hear that? Does that make you want to stay quiet? Just ignore it? Pretend like hell's not real, heaven's not real, people can live in an illusion? Uh, do you kind of want to come alongside people, care for them, maybe share some hope, share about the grace of God, share about how good Jesus is, take down some stereotypes, love people, care for those people? Don't you want everyone to be in heaven? I know God does. God doesn't want anyone to perish. Everyone has the opportunity putting their trust in Jesus. Every man, woman, and child. Well, what's God's plan? God's plan is to work through his people. Does he have a plan B? <laughs> what I see in the Bible and I see today is God works through his people. And then who's willing to bring this hope on mission? You know, I got this inspiring story from Serbia. And you think about digital missionaries. We are all digital missionaries in the age. And I know some people spend more time uh, maybe on social media or more time on their phones than others. But listen to this story. This is pretty incredible. During COVID, uh, in terms of the outreach, this came from Josiah Venture, and uh, Stoise is, is the man's name. He decided on his Facebook page that he would just start sharing five minutes of faith in the Bible each day. And what happened? The followers grew. In, in Serbia, there's about 10,000 people born again, approximately, out of 7 million. So that's the context. And as he was starting to share the Bible... Uh, more and more people following on his page. He ended up over 25,000 followers, 5,000 views a day. And now so many people are hearing about God through his Facebook page, just his personal Facebook page, daily talking about faith. 
I like some of these details. He's going through the book of John right now, the Gospel of John. And uh, one thing is that now there's a team of young people in his church that are trained to follow up because there's so many people sending notes, questions, emails he's receiving through Messenger that now he's got a friends and he's got all these young people at the church saying like, okay, we'll step in. We'll start to answer some of the questions. Like, let us get involved. We want to have some of these conversations. And then there's a university student in Belgrade asking how he could put his faith in Jesus. Uh, with this, Facebook internally benchmarks his page to large Serbian media outlets. You don't even have to do it all yourself. Facebook will take and run and highlight. YouTube will do this. Highlight videos, suggest videos. Suddenly YouTube's spreading the gospel and doing the work. It's pretty incredible, the times we're living in. When I talk about digital missionary, what does God want to do to use you, maybe one-on-one. -on -one. I went through in my Facebook friends and just started to send messages to different people, one-on-one, -on -one, that God, I felt like, was leading me to reach out to. Uh, in our church, in our staff time, on Tuesday, we're talking about digital missionaries. Uh, we have someone in our staff who's very creative, draws on Instagram, thousands of followers, and has built a community where it's safe to talk about pain, it's to talk about life, uh, to talk about faith some, and is reaching out in a phenomenal way. We have someone else in our church that has uh, children on the spectrum and has created a support group for moms and, who also have kids on the spectrum and the ministry, the connection that's happening there and the moms that are saying, I need God, I want to turn to God. Uh, there's so many examples in our church of people that have been creative. I think of international students, literally connecting with students from all around the world during this last year in COVID. Tremendous stuff that's happening there. But it could be in person as well. One person shared this week how they go to the same coffee stop every single morning and they built a relationship with the person there who serves coffee. That's their Cornelius. Uh, we just got a report from South Sudan, one of our international partners. Uh, there were just 23 baptisms at the church in South Sudan. <laughs> tremendous, tremendous. Uh, you know, I, I gave some statistics at the beginning, but this is why I want to tell you in my heart, I've never been more excited about ministry. And I, reason I'm, one reason I'm saying that, I love our church and what God's doing here. And I also look out and I see the condition of hearts. And I've never seen so many open doors to reach people right now. Literally, there's opportunities that I'm just saying like, well, I can't connect with India, but who can? I can't connect with Pakistan, but who can? I can't reach it, but, but who else could step in? Like, the harvest is amazing right now. It's amazing right now. So, eager to do good. Bringing real hope through our words. And then this is verse 17. This is verse 17, and here it is. Willing to suffer just like Jesus. Willing to suffer. That's it. Verse 17. For it is time for judgment to begin. Uh, well, that would be chapter 4. Let's stay in chapter 3. Uh, that's a preview. Verse, verse 17, chapter 3. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit. 
Jesus was put to death. He suffered. He sacrificed. He paid a price. He put it on the line. When it says for sins, the theological word is substitutionary atonement, meaning we needed a substitute. He was uniquely qualified, sinless, human in God to take our place. We needed that, the wrath of God on Jesus so that we are set free and we have the righteousness of God. Jesus did it with a high, high price. And the word passion, you know, what do you think of with the word passion? The word passion, a lot of people think of emotion, excitement. Oh, I'm so into this. Passion, the real meaning of the word is not excitement and I'm into it. It's not a feeling. The word passion is that you believe so deeply. There's a cause that you are so committed to that you are willing to suffer. That's passion. Not I'm feeling it. I'm feeling really good. It's a commitment and a cause that you're willing to suffer. That's passion. Uh, this is kind of humorous. I was talking to someone who now has a puppy, and they said, there's no greater love than a man with a puppy that he didn't want. And that's because he's cleaning up the house all the time, and he didn't want this dog. But what he was saying, kind of funny, is there's no greater love than a man who didn't want a puppy, but cleaning up after a puppy 24-7, that there's sacrifice in love. There is sacrifice in love. There's a cost. Plenty, historian, says that looking back during that time of persecution, followers of Jesus had a choice, either curse Christ or die. What would you do if those are your two options? Reject Jesus, curse Christ, or be killed? Those are the only two options. And many people turn back. Many people shrink back. Ephesians 5, chapter 1. As we think about imitating Jesus, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Love and sacrifice together. I read the story. Followers of Jesus are being beaten and killed all around the world. I read a story in Venezuela this week, and they have an incredible ministry happening there where people are following Jesus, coming to know the Lord, then sober, stepping out of gangs, stepping out of addiction, stepping out of you know, drinking and drugs, and the people around aren't so happy because that's a very lucrative business in Venezuela. And so this ministry has had a lot of threats, and this week there were four that were beaten, they cursed these men, they took knives and they cut and they sliced a big X on their bodies, and they literally made them eat the pages of the Bible. It's a reminder of persecution that we need to pray. But I think of the courage of our brothers and sisters around the world who are not shrinking back, who are taking the hits. And are, we're seeing revival in so many places in the world right now. And I think in America, in a prosperous land, are we willing to suffer in sacrifice as we step up for Jesus? Now, I've taken our kids to a lot of fast food burgers. Uh, McDonald's is still a favorite. And our kids like a really simple burger. I've been through so many of these drive throughs where, you know, what's the best deal? It's a McDouble, but all our kids want is the meat in the bun. So I pull up on the drive through and I say, we just want it plain. We don't want, and they'll ask, do you want the lettuce? No, we don't want the pickles. We don't want the onions. The ketchup? No ketchup. We don't want the ketchup. Don't want it. Do you want any cheese? Nope, don't want the cheese. McDouble. Meat and bun. Buy one, the second one's free. We just want it plain. So meat and bun, meat and bun, 
that's all we want, meat and bun. Nothing else, plain. They still get it wrong about half the time. We scrape that stuff off, you know. But we got kids who like it meat and bun, plain. And sometimes in my imagination, I kind of picture the American church coming up to the drive-thru. What would you like to order? We'd like a revival. Okay, how do you want it? We don't want inconvenience. We don't want pain. We don't want relationship risk. We don't want rejection. Do you want any prayer? Just a little prayer sprinkled on top is okay. That's okay. Just a little on top. I'll take that to go. Can I get that revival to go? And the voice back says, that's not on the menu. That's not on the menu. That's not going to change Auburn. That's not going to change the land. And I think when we pull up, what are we asking for? Because the cost and the prayer and the fasting and the risk and the persecution, that's part of the call. It's a call to believe. It's a call to follow. And it's a call to suffer for the name of the Lord. And you can't water that down. You just can't take that out. This is how Jesus said it. And I'll read his words calmly. They're strong. How did he send out the disciples? Matthew chapter 10, verse 27. This is what Jesus says. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered, if you got them. Uh, so don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown before my Father in heaven. Those are Jesus' instructions to disciples going out into a world that is drifting far from Jesus. And one person that inspires me is Stephen in the book of Acts. Because you know what happens? Stephen talking the gospel killed first martyr you know what jesus does while stephen's killed we know at the right hand of the father there's jesus sitting at the right hand of the father when stephen's killed he sees jesus standing up standing up honoring stephen's faithfulness to his death i don't know what you're going for in life i don't know what you want at the end of your life but I can't think of anything better than Jesus saying, well done. Than Jesus welcoming you in. That Jesus saying, yes, yes, Stephen, yes. That's, I think, the only thing that really matters at the end of our lives. I don't think it's our bank account. I don't think it's number of friends on social media. I don't think it's resume. I think it's Jesus. And I just don't know any other way to get there in terms of living for Jesus, abiding with him, shining through, eager to do good, sharing the gospel, willing to suffer. And then there's this interesting twist at the end. And I'm going to read these last couple verses. This is one you got to take home and study. Because you're like, okay, Peter, where are you going with this? And, and verse 19, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. 
In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience towards God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, powers in submission to him. There's some secondary things and there's some primary things. Secondary that's kind of clear. There's an interesting parallelism between water, Noah, the flood, salvation, baptism, water, salvation, connection, water, salvation. It's always through faith alone, but interesting, interesting, Peter. Also secondary, and then not as clear. There's like over a dozen explanations of what this could be. Did God refer here to preaching? Noah's a preacher of righteousness. God preaching, the Holy Spirit preaching through Noah? Okay. Did Jesus descend? Did he go into hell? Apostles' Creed, third century. I remember when I first became a Christian, I started saying the Apostles' Creed. He descended into hell. Well, what do they mean by that? And the apostles didn't actually write that. Did Jesus descend into hell, what we know as hell? Probably not. You can look into that. But he did die in the grave and death. So that's there. And then what was he doing as he was declaring and, and talking? And, you know, what happened on Saturday? It's kind of interesting between Friday and Sunday. What happened on Saturday? But that we don't have all the answers to that. Uh, but we know he descended. He died. And uh, there's a lot you can research on that one as well. Uh, you know what else is interesting? When Jesus was crucified, there were people who came out of the grave, Matthew 27. And they were dead before, and now they're alive, and they're testifying. So there's a lot of things going on. Um, this is what we know, and this is primary. We have a living hope. The gospel is the hope of the world. Jesus died for our sins. He's the Son of God. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. There's not forgiveness in any other name but the name of Jesus. And this will be the same gospel yesterday, today, and forever. And this gospel, the message will never change. The methods change. The, me the message will never change. And this is a gospel. Jesus is risen. Hell is real. Heaven is real. And we get the honor. God's calling his people to be eager to do good to open up our mouths, rely on the Holy Spirit to spread this gospel and suffer for it. Because some are going to say, hate. Some are going to say, not yet. Some are going to say, I'm listening. And some are going to say, yes, it's God's results. But we, may we be faithful to God. This leads us to prayer. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time together. Jesus, to see who you are, to see how you lived. Lord, change our hearts that we may be eager to do good, that we may be faithful in spreading the gospel, and God, that we would be willing to suffer. Let us go deep now, God, with you. I pray if anyone's listening and doesn't know you yet, that tonight would be the night to say yes through faith, through grace, faith in you, Jesus. God, this time of communion coming up, prepare our hearts for it. We want to meet you in the deep places, deep places of commitment. Set, up, set apart you as Lord in our lives, and not fear, but grace. We praise you together. In Jesus' name, amen. Yo, subscribe to YouTube channel. <laughs> <laughs> subscribe to this channel.